Rockers. When Metallica played their first show, 36 years ago this week, their nine-song set was comprised of Hit the Lights, Jump in the Fire, and seven cover songs. Those covers included Helpless, Sucking My Love, The Prince, and Am I Evil, all songs originally written and recorded by a band from England called Diamond Head. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 20. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. I am your host, Ryan J. Downey, and my guest this episode is Brian Tatler, co-founder, lead guitarist, and longest-running member of Diamond Head. Diamond Head began in Stour Bridge, England in 1976. A leader of the new wave of British heavy metal scene alongside Tigers of Pantang, Angel Witch, Def Leppard, Demon, Iron Maiden, Girl School, Samson, and Saxon, among others, Diamond Head never reached the commercial heights of some of their more famous contemporaries, but were most assuredly one of the most influential. Metallica has performed Am I Evil more than 700 times at that first show in Anaheim, California on March 14, 1982, and as recently as February 1, 2018 in Lisbon, Portugal. An enduring metal anthem, if ever there was one, studio and live versions of Am I Evil appear as B-sides on the single versions of Jump in the Fire, Creeping Death, Wherever I May Roam, The Unforgiven 2, The Cliff em All and Cunning Stunts DVDs, Garage Inc., the remastered versions of the first three albums, two different fan cans, live shit, binge and purge, and various collections. In 1981, I flew to England on my summer vacation to get away from Newport Beach. I ended up at the Woolwich Odeon in the southern part of London and went and saw the following band. Um, it was the last gig of their tour. And um, I came all the way from America, and I brown-nosed my way backstage, just like some of you may do later. And um, I uh, basically ended up blagging a ride home with a singer and ended up staying in the singer's front room for the next three weeks. Uh, that was very cool. You don't get that kind of hospitality these days. But uh, it so inspired me from being around these guys and, and staying with them for three weeks that I went back to California. I called that man over there who I'd met a couple of months before, and I said, let's form a band. And 30 years later, we're all in the same room together. So there may be a couple of five of you that know what the fuck I'm talking about. So over here in the wings, we have uh, two members of the band that I saw that night in Woolwich Odeon. And I will say pretty much straight up, look every one of you in the eye and say, they're the fucking reason Metallica exists. It's that simple. Okay? If it wasn't for them, we'll all be doing something else right now. So please welcome, flying all the way in from, uh, from, uh, from, from Stour Bridge in England, please welcome Brian Tatler and Brian Tatler and Sean Harris from Diamond Head, who are going to sit in with us for a couple minutes here. Please give it up. The fucking reason we're all in this room together. Lars named his radio show It's Electric after one of the songs from Diamond Head's 1980 debut, Lightning to the Nations. Remarkably, all five of those Diamond Head songs I've mentioned appear on the band's first album. Am I Evil appeared again on their 1982 record, Borrowed Time. Now managed by Dave and Justice Mustaine since late last year, Diamond Head is in the midst of prepping their eighth studio album. Before we jump into this wide-ranging conversation with Brian, I'd like to play you the original version of what's probably my favorite Diamond Head song, Helpless.
That was Diamond Head with Helpless from 1980's Lightning to the Nations. Now, here it is. My conversation with Brian Tatler. This is Speak and Destroy. Tell me about linking up with the Mustangs recently, the, the uh, collaboration between Diamond Head and Dave and Justice Mustaine. Dave got in touch and um, spoke to me because he told, first of all, he told me he'd got a radio station himself going, and uh, uh, or a radio show, not a station, to be fair. Uh, and and uh, I just thought he, he, he meant, shall we do an interview at some point? But he got onto the subject of management and... Uh, he said, you know, do you have a management? And I said, no, we pretty much do it ourselves. I mean, our drummer Carl does a lot of the nuts and bolts of, of, of diamond heads day to day. And then I, I, you know, we, you know, we do our own thing, really. We've, we've been doing it for a long time now. Uh, so we haven't had a manager for, for many years. And um, he offered to manage us. And so I spoke to Carl about it and, uh, 
we we just thought it was a great opportunity because of course that's that's such a, a much higher level than Diamond Head operate at, you know, up the up in the Megadeth League and all that. Uh, and we thought it's bound to be uh, able to to help us, but you know, move up a little or open some doors. We always, you know, try to get onto festivals and and maybe a support tour and stuff like that. But sometimes, uh, you know, we. we we haven't been able to, you know, get get on the things we want to get on, and so so we just thought it's a great opportunity. And of course, I've known Dave uh, personally since probably the '90s, early '90s, and uh, he played on uh, one of our albums, Death and Progress. Yes. And I've been to see Megadeth, and we even did a, a fantastic support tour with Megadeth in 2005, around all around Europe, 22 dates. And uh, that was a wonderful experience, one of the best tours I've ever done. Uh, so you know, we've got some we've got some nice history. And uh, this this takes us not quite nicely all the way back to the beginning. In fact, um, in, in talking about supporting and so forth, um, early on in the late seventies, Diamond Head had the opportunity to uh, support both ACDC and Iron Maiden, as I understand it. Um, yeah. Could you tell me a little a little bit about those gigs? Okay, two two great gigs. Uh, the Iron Maiden gig was at the Lyceum uh, in London. It was Iron Maiden, Praying Mantis, and Diamond Head. We only got about a twenty-minute slot, uh, but it, it was really good for us because Jeff Barton was there from Sounds and did a full-page piece on Diamond Head and raved about Diamond Head. So I think a lot of record labels and and people took notice of us from that moment on. So it was good exposure. For, for the band. Uh, the ACDC gigs, we, we played two dates with them. Uh, they'd already toured with Def Leppard as support uh, on the Highway to Hell tour in 1979. And then two of those gigs had got cancelled uh, and rescheduled for January 1980. Uh, De- Def Leppard couldn't do them because they were already starting on their next album or something. Uh, so we were offered them, and of course we said yes because we were huge fans of ACDC, still am to this day. Uh, so all four of us were excited about opening for ACDC, and uh, we played Newcastle and Southampton in the UK, and got to meet ACDC, and uh, they were really good to us, and we got sound checks, and uh, we went down really well, and uh, we even had a chat to their manager, Peter Mench, who, who kindly came into our dressing room and, and had a good chat. And, and I often think that that chat was kind of, I think he was sizing us up, really, to see if we were mm. probably, you know, a viable concern. Uh, I, I don't know if I completely uh, got it at the time, but in hindsight, I think that's what was going on. Um, Peter Mench, who, of course, uh, went on to manage Def Leppard and, of course, Metallica. Indeed. So, you know, a, a fantastic manager. Uh, and I think Diamond Ed's fortunes would have been very different had uh, Peter Mench got involved. But I don't know what happened, what went down, but uh, maybe he, could, he, he didn't see the ambition or he didn't, he didn't uh, want to separate, try and separate Sean from... Because his mom was, was sort of co-managing the band and... Uh, mm. Maybe maybe that was a, a you know a bad thing in in uh, in his eyes, or it might have been difficult to pull you know Sean away from his mom. I don't know. But and this was uh, anyway. This would have been Bon Scott ACDC, right? 
It was. Yeah. In fact, it was the last two gigs Bond ever did. Oh, wow. And, of course, nobody... Yeah, nobody knew that at the time, of course, but he, I think he died about the 10th of Feb. And the only thing that happened after the two dates with, you know, where Diamond had supported was they did some kind of video in, in somewhere, like as a, a video for some of the tracks of Highway to Hell. Uh, but, yeah, we did the last two ever gigs, and um, it was great. In fact, Bon Scott gave our bass player a, 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 his bottle of Jack Daniels. He was swinging from this bottle, and... Uh, he gave it to Colin, and Colin, uh, our bass player, kept it and brought it home with him. You know, thought it was a, a, a nice souvenir Indeed. of the gig. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and then, we, of course, we were shocked. In fact, he invited us to his flat. He said, we're having a party later and all that. Come round, and he gave us the address. And we drove around London trying to find this this address. We couldn't find it. So we drove all the way home, back to the Midlands, about 100 miles, and disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, a little bit later, we read in the papers that he he died. He choked, choked to death and horrible. Yeah. Terrible, yeah. And, yeah. And of course, yeah, and of course, there were no cell phones or, or Google Maps or anything to guide your way. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no sat nav. No, we just had a bit of paper with a with an address written on it, and we had no idea where it was. We couldn't find it. Had to come home. <laughs> now, now, of course, uh, and, and we'll get into this here in a few minutes. Um, of course, Diamond Head and the, and the whole new wave of British heavy metal, and Diamond Head most specifically, were so massively influential on. Metallica and Megadeth and a lot of bands that that happened here in America. Uh, but I first would like to talk to you about uh, some of the bands that were crucial in your formation as a musician. What um, okay? What was some of the uh, the first things you kind of you know heard around the house and some of the first music you were exposed to and how did that develop to then discovering bands like the Scorpions and Rainbow and and some of those bands that I think were were part of your history. Well, uh, you know, it's a cliche, but most, I think of musicians, it helps if, if the other members of the ba of the uh, family play instruments or if it rubs off. You seem, you know, if, I'm, if you were around it, I think uh, it does have an influence on you. So uh, my brother started playing guitar when, when I was about eight. He bought an, an acoustic guitar and started playing and so there wasn't a, a guitar there was a guitar around and i would probably have a little go and i couldn't play it so i'd give up and i'd, I'd lose my patience but eventually when i was probably say 14 i remember he, he had he had an electric guitar and then he bought a, an another electric guitar and he was he was in a band by this point uh so i could then play his old guitar whenever I wanted, you know, without having to ask him. And I'd started practicing, and I would, I'd ask that, my brother David to show me things, you know, show me a chord, show me how to play, you know, Paranoid, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so I think that was important. And then he... Um, he was a big rock fan, so he would have albums by Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and um, uh, Genesis, all these, you know, fantastic bands of the 70s. Uh, so, and he would take me to see bands. He would take me to, see, he took me to see Black Sabbath uh, and uh, Gentle Giant and uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and all kinds of bands. So I think all that had a, had a big influence on myself uh, and uh, wanting to become a musician 
uh, maybe, you know, being a band at all. You know, you, I can remember going to see bands and just, just the lights and the PA and the equipment were just so exciting to like a, a 14-year-old kid. And I think I think it's still the same now, you know. You still see young young guys at gigs and they're almost starstruck by the, the whole thing and the fact that you can, you know, you've got a job being in a band it's a, it's a it's a career it's a living it's a, mm-hmm. uh, you haven't got to go down the you know go down the factory or something it's a, it's a, the escapism of it all is is quite uh, exciting i think to a to a young chap but uh, richie blackmore as well was a big influence in the early days i i pretty much wanted to play like richie blackmore uh, and um, and then a bit later on michael Schenker and People like that, Van Halen, Jimmy Page, you know, the usual, the usual, <laughs> the usual suspects. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. So, uh, you know, as a, this being a Metallica podcast, of course, and um, me being a, a Metallica super fan and having discovered yeah. di- having discovered Diamond Head through Metallica, I think, like so many of us, um, one or two others as well. <laughs> <laughs> a couple yeah, of people. Yeah. Um, I, you know, all the way back. Uh, when Metallica first began, you know, if you look at some of those set lists from some of their first shows, and of course this was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Ron McGovney on bass and Dave Mustaine on lead guitar, you know, yeah. about half the set list would be Diamond Head songs. <laughs> yes. So, um, I've seen, yeah, I've seen a few set lists where there's at least four or five Diamond Head songs in the set. And uh, and they might only have one or two originals, things like maybe Hit the Lights or something. But uh, it's amazing to see that, that that's how they started and then, uh, and then gradually replaced the covers with their own material. Yeah, it's great. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. And, and of course, um, it was already an obscure enough scene and then they're a new band covering an obscure band from overseas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah but I, I don't think they, they went to the... You know, too much trouble to say this is a diamond dead song. <laughs> right. They would just, they would just say this is the Prince or something. You know, <laughs> maybe some people thought, oh, they've written this song. You know, it's great. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, so, when did you first become aware of Metallica? Of course, it was, I believe, in '84 when "Am I Evil" was like officially released as a B-side. Yeah. Um, when did you first sort of? Uh, become aware that there was this band Metallica and that they were so heavily okay. inspired by Diamond Head. Obviously, I, I mean, there's the story about how I met Lars when he came to U- the UK to see Diamond Head in 1981, July 1981. But he didn't, and he hung around. He, he stayed at my house for a week, and he stayed with Sean for oh, about well, tell, four Tell me about weeks. this, because I, I, know, I know the story about him following Motorhead around. Um, yeah. I, 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 didn't actually, no, he, I didn't actually know that okay. he, he stayed with you for a week and all that. No, tell oh, me. yeah, yeah. He came, he just flew over from, I believe, Los Angeles to uh, London, and he came to this gig we were playing called the, the Woolwich Odeon in London, uh, and introduced himself, and I think he'd already written to the fan club, so we may have been aware of his name. Uh, and we were probably just impressed that this guy had flown all the way over from America to see Diamond Head. And he was 17, and uh, I was very impressed. And we all kind of took to him because he was so enthusiastic, and and uh, he was good fun. So uh, I I just said, "Where are you staying?" And and uh, I don't think he had an answer. So uh, 
I said, just stop with me. So he probably thought, great, you know, I can get in with the band and, and hang. So he just jumped in the car and we drove back home up to the Midlands and he stayed with me for a week, just sleeping on the floor in my bedroom because I still live with my parents. Amazing. And uh, then he stopped at Sean's house, uh, who again, still living with his parents. We were only like, you know, 21 or something at this point. Yeah, I was going to say, you're not, you're not that much older than those guys. So No, yeah. I was born in 1960 and Lars is born in 1963, isn't he? In fact, Dave Mustaine, I think he's born in 1961. So we're not that far off. It always seemed like they were much younger uh, mm-hmm. and almost a different generation, but they were almost, the, you know, the same age and, and right hot on our heels uh, in hindsight. But uh, at the time, it did feel it did feel different. But, um, yeah, so he stayed at Sean's for about a month and he came to about three gigs with us where we'd just have him in the car, you know. There'd be like, there used to be, say, the four of us, and now there's the five of us in the car would be Lars, <laughs> all squashed up, and uh, and he came to rehearsals and he watched us, you know. And Sean and I would write songs and we would make these little four track tapes and all that. And uh, he hung around for, for for quite a while and then went back to the U.S. But I don't remember him ever saying, "I'm a drummer" or "I'm going to form a band" or or let's have a go on your guitar, or <laughs> anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I, we always thought he was just this super fan of the band, and we knew he liked Motorhead, and he liked the new wave of British heavy metal, and he, he would buy lots and lots of records uh, while he was in the UK. Uh, but uh, it wasn't until he, he wrote a letter in, I, I think, January 1982, pretty much just saying how's it going and what's Diamond it up to and all that. And then he put in this letter, uh, I've, by the way, I've formed a band, it's called Metallica, and uh, we rehearse six nights a week, six hours a day, six <laughs> days a week, he told me. Wow. And I've, I thought, wow, that's, we, we Diamond had never rehearsed that much. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's thought, a, that sounds some, like a bit of overkill. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, maybe he was exaggerating, but it sounds like, <laughs> no, a, yeah. you know, it sounds very enthusiastic to me. It sounds like, well, this is a serious, you know, proposition that these guys ain't messing around. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, you know, I thought it was great that, you know, Lars has formed a band, but uh, it didn't, no, you know, it didn't occur to me that, you know, oh my God, they're going to be the biggest metal band of all time <laughs> who of knew course. it was just uh, Lars's band you know oh great you know I knew lots of people who'd formed bands but usually <laughs> they're lucky if they even make a record let alone become successful indeed, <laughs> so indeed. That, that's how I met Lars so that that's amazing so so at that time in the early 80s you know uh, as a, a bit of a historian and and someone who as a journalist has covered uh, lots of different music scenes and subcultures and so forth um uh, this is always fascinating to me, you know, as being on the vanguard of this new wave of British heavy metal, of course, you know, genres and things like that tend to get named after the fact. Um, were you aware that you, that Diamond Head was part of something, you know, together with these other bands that you were forming, forging a new sound? Yeah, I and... think, I think, yes. Uh, I think we're all doing our own thing. Like we're all, you know, trying to, sort of, in a way, emulate the great bands of the 70s that we'd all been to see, your Black Sabbaths, your Deep Purples, and we were doing our own thing, but I wasn't aware of all these other bands doing the same thing, Maiden, Saxon, you know, you name it, 
uh, and it wasn't really it, it was the uh, the magazine or the broadsheets uh, sounds with, that uh, coined the name the editor Alan Lewis came up with the name the new Edward Shivy Metal Jeff Barton did the big feature on Maiden and, and Samson and all that with the, with the front cover with Thunderstick on it do you remember mm. and, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was a big front page piece on Def Leppard and so suddenly you know Diamond Dick got a mention in uh, in sounds and uh, and uh, we sent in a tape to uh, they they had a, a weekly playlist where Jeff Barton would play, you know, um, new people demos pretty much people had sent in or singles and so our little demo that we'd recorded for about twenty five pound appeared in Jeff Barton's playlist <laughs> like alongside you know Jeff Leopard or something and so we were all wow you know it said, I'm sure it said Diamond Head demo tape and. Uh, uh, we were so excited by by anything like that getting on the radio or or being you know just being in the paper or anything. So uh, that that whole movement came around, and we just thought this is perfect timing for Diamond Head because we're up and ready. We've got good songs. We've got you know the band together. We've been going probably three years at this point. So it was perfect timing for us to to get something in the press and to get people like, you know, people, real, well-respected journalists like uh, Paul Suter and Jeff Barton to, to say good things about the band. And, and we just thought this is just going to bring us to the attention of, of like maybe record companies. So it, it was perfect for us. And, uh, and then, of course, we would find out about all these other bands around the UK uh, and, uh, with fascination, you know, maybe go buy this record that they're all raving about uh, uh, and check out, go and, you know, oh, okay, Iron Maiden are playing in Birmingham, let's go watch them, you know, let's see, see what the competition's like. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that's how it was. Yeah, um, and of course, eventually, uh, you know, you did sign to a major record label, uh, you know, af- after the first record was released, you guys went on to do a deal yeah. with MCA, I believe, in 82. Yeah, 82. Um, yeah, and then um, you know, jumping ahead just a, just a little bit, I know you you in '83 you did uh, Monsters of Rock in Donington, and that you also yeah. uh, got to tour with the uh, the Born Again version of Sabbath. Um, yes, that's right. <laughs> what can you tell we me? Toured Europe. Yeah, what well, can you tell me a little bit about that tour and Monsters of Rock and, and some of the things that were uh, Monsters of Rock was really hard. Uh, we were, I think, first on, and so we went on about two o'clock in the afternoon in broad daylight. Uh, you know, nowadays there's uh, there's probably a hundred bands at things like Sonisphere and uh, Download, as it's called now. But back then there was, I think there were seven bands. It was one day, and uh, as I say, we we got the, the the opportunity to open it, and it was just seemed really hard. I remember it being a struggle. And it, and w- when we did do it, uh, our band had already fractured in that we'd lost our drummer and bass player, so we'd got a new drummer in, new bass player, and we'd, we'd also brought in a keyboard player. And I don't think we were quite ready for that. Uh, and I, I think we were probably moving away from, from metal, uh, from, you know, just writing guitar riffs and and you know the power of all that. I think we were we were sort of experimenting a little bit, and it was probably the you know in hindsight the wrong thing to do. But 
you don't always know what you're doing when you're when you're young, do you? you <laughs> we all make mistakes. Indeed. But uh, the the Black Sabbath tour was a bit of an oddity because it wasn't it wasn't Ozzy, it wasn't uh, Bill Ward, it was uh, <coughs> it was Ian Gillen and uh, um, <laughs> the guy out of the move. I can't think of his name. The drummer, uh, Beth Evan. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> yeah, Beth Evan. So you know it's a bit strange, and uh, they did they did smoke on the water, and oof, it, it it did seem a bit strange. But uh, we were glad of the uh, the tour and exposure, riding around Europe in a in a coach is nice, always nice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Beth, yeah. I'm, I mean, Bevan, I thought I, right. I was a huge fan of Sabbath, so it was great to go out with them. But it it wasn't exactly the lineup that, that everybody wanted. Yeah, because <laughs> even when I think about that record i still think about bill ward and geezer since you know they're on the album <laughs> but that, but yeah i forget that that's not that's not the version no. of touring the record yeah uh, did bill ward make the record i believe so um i don't know i believe so. i can't remember um but it was beth bevan on the tour anyway man crazy so yeah crazy and they had the stonehenge as well <laughs> this is before <laughs> spinal tap they had stonehenge as a back line and, and all the monitors were covered up in with these sort of fiberglass boulders and stuff like that. It's bizarre. That's <laughs> <laughs> so amazing to think about now, especially. Yeah. So great. They wouldn't do it now. No. Um and you had uh you know, you had you mentioned the fan club earlier that, that Lars had, had written to and um it seems yes. like it seems like you were very active with that. Um you know, still going around the period that we're talking about now, I believe, you know, sending, sending out uh, VHS copies of shows and things like that. To mm. fans. Um, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. We did, we did have a good fan club and we had a good merchandise. This guy uh, really went to town with our merch and we, we used to do really well with, with all that. You guys put out your third album uh, in 83. So that would have been, uh, you know, a year before Am I Evil comes out on the Creeping Death single. Uh, so it seems as though, you know, uh, that initial period for Diamond Head was drawing to a close just as what would, of course, become this massive interest from Metallica fans started to yes. kick into gear. <laughs> it, yeah, it did seem to coincide. You know, Diamond Head got dropped in uh, January 1984 and the band pretty much folded, you know, within a year. Uh, whereas, you know, Metallica just seemed to go, start going up and up and up, and uh, and then by '86 with Master of Puppets, they were they were selling huge records, weren't they? Um, it was it was fascinating to watch, you know. Uh, as my band sort of disintegrated, uh, I could I could uh, watch Lars's band uh, go up and up and up. It was uh, amazing. And and the fact that they covered uh, Am I Evil was really flattering, I thought. Uh, Indeed. So and and it became it such nice. a, a staple of their shows, and um yes. and of course they've you know always acknowledged Diamond Head, which has been fantastic. Oh yeah. And I know Dave Mustaine has done the same. And um, absolutely, I, I must have seen hundreds and hundreds of interviews where they've name checked Diamond Head and it's helped keep the name in the press and and alive. Yeah, and, and you know the four covers have all been, uh, you know, very very helpful to the band. Oh sure, and it, um, as a songwriter, uh, not only commercially but just uh, art, art, artistically, <laughs> yeah. it's great to 
to think about your songs being on millions and millions of copies of records. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's helped keep them alive. I, I always think Am I Evil has a life of its own now. It's just out there. It's on so many different releases, live albums, DVDs, and yeah. compilations, and best, you name it. Uh, it's just out there. People cover it and play it, and it's on the radio occasionally. And Yeah, it's great. It's That song, you know, it's just great. As a teenager growing up in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, in the late 80s and early 90s, you know, the, mm. fir the first band that I was ever in at 14, 15 years old, uh, we covered uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, um, a Death Angel song, you know, we, a couple metal bands yeah. that we were really influenced by, and we covered Am I yeah. Evil. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, it's I, a good song. It's, yeah. it's a good riff. It's quite simple. Uh, it's a good chorus. Uh, it's dramatic. It's got a nice solo. So, uh, yeah, I just I'm really proud of it, and it always works live. We just we just managed to to create some magic there. It's very hard to repeat, <laughs> but we, <laughs> at least we did it once. <laughs> well, and I think it speaks volumes too that when uh, you know after all you know we talk about the new wave of British heavy metal, and of course uh, another thing that was named by the press at some point that stuck is this idea of the big four and yeah. when the big four finally gets together and d does these shows and then they all come on stage to play a song, it, it, it speaks yeah. volumes of what an anthem am I evil yes. is for the whole metal community when that's, you know, they didn't do a, a yes. Metallica song or a Slayer song or, you know, they did diamond head. <laughs> Those well, there's lots together. of songs they could have chosen, isn't there? They could have done a Sabbath song or a mm -hmm. Judas Priest song or, there's tons of great rock songs out there, and yet to do a diamonded song was, was uh, you know, flattering. I didn't expect that, and uh, I was very, uh, you know, shocked by that. It's very cool. So, um, yeah. going back a little bit in the uh, in the mid to late '80s, uh, you know, as Metallica, as you mentioned, is sort of ascending with Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, and of course, Injustice for yeah. All. Um, I would imagine. Uh, that you, uh, you know, did you turn up to Metallica gigs? Were you in touch with those guys? Were you yeah. kind of seeing Well, I would going? always get a call. I mean, it seemed that whenever they came over to the UK, Lars would call me and say, we're doing this gig, you know, come down. The first time I saw them was at uh, the Birmingham Odeon on the Master of Puppets tour. So I, Cliff was at that gig. And uh, they asked if would I like to play Am I Evil with them tonight. Mm. So I said yes, all right, let's do that. Oh wow, I didn't, I and, didn't, uh, I didn't realize you did that that early because yeah, I was going to get into some yeah. of the times you did. So that. I, I played on stage with with uh, that lineup, you know, with Cliff Williams, uh, Cliff, sorry, Cliff Burton, ACDC, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Cliff Burton, and uh, so that's a special memory that not many people can uh, can say. Um, but we, yeah, we played on my evil, and uh, I, I, you know, I thought that they were great. It's the first time I'd seen them, and it was so powerful and tight. And I didn't know all the songs, but it, it was a very impressive gig uh, for me to witness. And then a couple of times over the years, I've got up and played uh, on my evil with them. I've played Helpless. Uh, we've done. Yeah, I, I knew about the time, you know, in, uh I believe it was '92. Um, in Birmingham, yeah, uh, where you did uh, Am I Evil and Helpless with them. Yes, that's right, at the NEC, uh, the National uh, Indoor Arena. No, not the Indoor Arena, the, the NEC, yes, National Exhibition Centre, that's right. But nice. I also played Helpless with them at uh, 
at the 100 Club when they did a warm up for uh, Donington in in 87. Oh wow! Wow, <laughs> with, cool. With Jason on bass, and so that was great. Yeah, and that that would be 87. That would yeah, that'd be the year they put Helpless out on the uh, Garage yes. Days records. So. That's right. Yeah. Each time they did a release, Lars would get in touch, you know, and say, uh, we, we, we want to do Helpless or, the, you know, The Prince or something. Uh, and can you send over the lyrics, you know? So I'd, I'd, I'd <laughs> fax over the lyrics to them and they'd probably be, probably be in the studio or something. And uh, so I'd, I'd quickly get, get the lyrics over to them and think, oh, great, they're doing another Diamond Head song, you know, each time. <laughs> Four times I've done it, so it was always, yeah. uh, wow, great. Uh, but so I, great. I must have seen Metallica 24 times or something by now. And uh, I've always, you know, I always enjoy going to watch them live. They always put on such a great show. Uh, oh, indeed. So it's lovely to see them evolve as well, to see the different stage shows and the way they've, you know, got bigger and bigger. Yeah, right. and, and yeah, yeah and, and, and like you said, all you know, because then again, uh, in the late nineties, yeah, we're doing we're doing more covers. We're we want to put it's electric on this time. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, a double album of covers. Yeah, <laughs> not many people do that. No, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. Um, mm. So I wanted to talk to you also a little bit about um, you know Diamond Head. Uh, you know, not only have you have you gotten up and performed with them. With, with Metallica on stage many times, as we just talked about, but also Diamond Head, the band, has supported Metallica before. Um, yes. I'm thinking, was it a Metallica show uh, that I'm thinking of, where the, the story where where Sean came out dressed as the Grim Reaper? <laughs> was uh, it, well, it was uh, Milton Keynes Bowl in 1993. So it was, uh, it was their own sort of festival. It was, it was um, Metallica. Then Megadeth, then The Almighty, and then Diamond Head. We opened, mm. and uh, yeah, Sean came out just as the Grim Reaper, as some kind of uh, statement of intent. Uh, it was a bit strange. It didn't really work, and there you have it. <laughs> it was yeah. then, Di- Diamond Head's own Stonehenge. Really, <laughs> yeah, we didn't last much longer after that. We kind of imploded again, which was a shame because we'd done this good album called Death and Progress, mm-hmm. and then. And then we never got to tour it. We did, we did that big gig. That was the huge kind of launch pad. And then there was no nothing to follow it up. So we never toured the states or anything. In fact, the first time we ever played in the U.S. was 2002. So it, it's a shame, you know, we missed such a an opportunity to tour the U.S. when yeah. when we should have done in the 80s. You know. I mean, yeah, there was a dec- a decade between the. The last album, and then the comeback album, and then another decade before you got to America. So yeah, there's lots of yeah. lots of gaps in there. Um, That's right. It's not good for a band's career to have lots of gaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, on the you know the glass being half full, uh, you do have such an impressive catalog. You know, for fans when they discover songs like Helpless and The Prince and everything to go back and check out records like Death in Progress and all yeah, will be revealed yeah. and, um, you know, borrow time and all this great stuff. Um, so, you know, that is, uh, as you said, so many people form bands that never even make it to the first couple gigs, let alone a, rec- a record. <laughs> and Diamond yeah. Head here has this, has this catalog to celebrate. Um, yes. We're, well, we've, we've just done our eighth album. So, you know, we, we're hoping to get that out this year. And uh, so that, you know, that's, 
that's something to be proud of. It's always such a big effort to make an album, and uh, the fact that we've we've managed to record eight is is pretty good for me. I think. Yeah, <laughs> in, indeed, and yeah. uh, so the self-titled record was 2016. Uh, yes. Right, so that was the last one um, prior to this. Yeah, uh, tell me yes. about this new album. This will be your second with this singer, is that correct? Um, that's right, with Rasmus, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So uh, it's just, uh, we, you know, we were, we were sort of uh, so flattered by the, uh, the, the press we received for the last album. Uh, mm -hmm. It did so well because uh, we were all kind of worried that you know, maybe because we've been away a long time, we've got a new singer, people wouldn't wouldn't particularly like it or it's hard to be really confident about your own material. Uh and and the press was fantastic. So I I think that gave us a lot of confidence to say, let's do another one. Let's let's start writing and see what comes. So we began writing it January last year and uh it's it's all done now, but we need to we need to mix it. But we just finished a tour with Saxon, and our singers just moved flat, and you know life gets in the way. So we we're doing it as quickly as we can, but uh, it's not ready yet. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be great. It's going to be great. There's a track on there. I won't tell you the title yet, but it's one. I think it's one of the best things I've ever done. Nice. And 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 when you were writing songs now. Um... And this is something I, you know, I like to ask a lot of bands who have established a catalog and, and a reputation. Yeah. Um, what are some of the elements where you know what you're writing makes sense for Diamond Head as opposed to, you know, just for your own personal thing or for some other project? You know, what what are kind of some of the elements where you go, okay, this is this is a Diamond Head song. Mm. You know, what well, well, at the same yeah. time, of course, doing things that are new that inspire you to to keep evolving and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I, I can only think there is a style, there's a style of guitar riff and certain chords that I use that that sounds like Diamond Head. Is it, you know, occasionally we've we've played things or I've I've got riffs, you know, that I've recorded, and and we will say that is very Diamond Head. So we we sort of gravitate towards that rather than this is a bit. Mm, we're not sure it's a bit this, it's a bit that, it's, you know. So we tend to leave some things alone if they don't really fit in what we call the brief, you know. Does it sound like Diamond Head? Because I think that has got to be the, uh, you know, what people really want. They want, a, you know, a Diamond Head album. They don't want to just be blasted with, with experiments and us trying to evolve or change or something. I think they... You know, they know what they like. Uh, I think the first album was The Template uh, and Borrowed Time. So we we try and, and uh, you know, whittle it down a little bit to, to songs that, that, I mean, you know, I, I always like the things, but sometimes I'm prepared to leave it alone or at least put it on the back burner for a rainy day uh, if it doesn't really fit in with the Diamond Head sort of style and sound. And speaking of that diamond head style and sound, um, I, I read something once, uh, and of course you can you can uh, tell me if this is uh, correct. I believe it was the song "The World Needs a Hero" from uh, two thousand one. Uh, yes, Megadeth record. Uh, yeah, but there was an interview where I, where I read that uh, Dave Mustaine said, you know, I called up Brian from Diamond Head and said, "Are you cool with me writing this song because it's kind of inspired by Am I Evil?" 
that you said, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> he, he saw it as, a, as an homage. Um, do you remember that conversation? Sort of. I don't, I mean, it's been a <laughs> while, but I, I, the track is very, are you talking about that song when? It must be, yeah. I think it was. I think it's yes, on the two thousand one album. Yeah, you know, it is. That's uh, the one, yeah. And when I listen to it, it it's it's like uh, the arrangement is is almost exactly the same. Obviously, the the riff and the lyrics are different, but you can you can see that it's if you like a homage to yeah. uh, Am I Evil, yeah, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, fine. What am I? You know, it's it's not copyrighted, is it? Chord changes and things. So, <laughs> well, you know. and imagine how many songs uh, borrow from their influences yeah. without the songwriter calling the other songwriter and saying, "Hey, are you cool with this?" Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've been to the studio a couple of times uh, when Dave's been making albums in the UK. I went up to Derby with mm. Andy Sneap's place. Yeah, and, they did. Uh, uh, they we, did a couple yeah. songs from United Abominations with Sneap, and then they did, of course. Uh, yeah. The end game record. I went up there and uh, we had a, you know, we had a nice time. And um, also I went to Hook Hook End, uh, Hook End Manor in uh, ooh, somewhere, somewhere down south, and that was good. I forget which album they were doing, but you know they were there for a, for a week or so doing doing a record, and that was good as well. So nice. he tries to stay in touch, you know. Same with Lars, you know. Whenever they come over to the UK, I normally get a get a call and a and a pass and. Uh, uh, and you know, come, come, let's let's meet up. Let's let's hook up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I just had Animal from Anti Nowhere League on the podcast, and uh, okay. he was telling me about the 30th anniversary shows, and uh, you know, how yeah. he and his wife, uh, you know, it was the first time they'd ever flown business class, <laughs> and uh, oh, just gosh. how yeah. just how lovely everyone was uh, from the. I, I have to go economy. I only got economy. I didn't get a mention <laughs> of business. <laughs> Perhaps I'm not pushy enough. <laughs> but yeah, that was a that was a fantastic uh, event. Those 30th anniversary shows that the uh, yeah, and you guys did uh, four songs at that one with them, right? We did. We did four, yes. We did all four. All four. And uh, it was great. It was great. We, we went to HQ first uh, and ran through all the songs with Metallica. Wow. And then that was probably about four o'clock in the afternoon. And then when we'd done that, it was like, we've got to go over to the Fillmore now and, and, uh, and, make, and make a start, you know. Do, uh, and B Bifford was there from Saxon and mm -hmm. uh, the guy from Merciful Fate was there and stuff like that king yeah. diamond yeah yeah and that, it's all that's good. that now for those shows that's one time when we know metallica really was practicing for six or seven hours in a row <laughs> <laughs> yeah he said he said lars said i've had to learn 80 songs he said it's insane wow. <laughs> you know and they had and they had it's so many to have in your head and, and lars was was the hardest working guy that week because you know, they had so many guest vocalists and guitarists and bass players and yeah, yeah. Um, no guest drummer. So he was he was that's up there right. behind the kit and for everything. That's absolutely right, yeah. And and they're not easy songs to play. No. no. <laughs> I will I will testify some of those songs are very difficult to play. Mm -hmm. uh, so to have to recall a song that you may you may not have played for a long time, or maybe the band have never played before, and then just drop it in on the night. It's, it's quite difficult. Yeah, that Merciful Fate medley they do is, you know, five yeah. songs, and it's 12 minutes long. And, of course, some of their, you know, this is a, this is an interesting question for you, too. Um, 
you know, their arrangement, for example, of uh, the Misfits, Die, Die, My Darling, is a little bit switched yeah. up from the original. And, you know, I imagine when Glenn Danzig gets up to sing with them, that's a little bit confusing. Um, yeah. <laughs> are, are there, that's true. Are there little nuance changes like that um, to your songs? Yes. I mean, yeah. And, and well, Helpless is different because there's a big middle eight section in Helpless, and uh, they they took that out mm. and did a guitar solo. Kirk does a guitar solo, and then the ending's different as well. And also, it's electric. Diamond had recorded it in the key of G, and Metallica recorded it in the key of G flat, F sharp. So wow. Wow. they play it differently. So I had to kind of relearn how they play it. But to be honest, they play it better than I play it. So I kind of copied their way. So <laughs> so we play it in F sharp now because awesome. the way they sort of voice the chords is better than what I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some, sometimes yeah. sometimes an extra pair of ears. It's like a like a producer, yeah. or, uh, you know. Well, they're, a, new they're a great band. band. They're all they're all great players. You know, they can make a a song happen. So you got to hand it to them. Yeah. So um, we talked about that first time that Diamond Head <clears throat> got over here to the states to perform. Um, mm. you know, in the interest of, uh, you know, getting this record out this year and so on, do you have plans to, you know, do some festivals and, and a bit of touring? And do you think we might be able to see Diamond Head, uh, those of us yes. in America who haven't been able to see you? Well, we've, we've been over a few times since 2011. We've probably done five tours. Uh, we're doing Rocklahoma in May. Oh, nice. And Great. We've, we've, yeah. We've got some dates around that, uh, and then I'm not sure what else there is. There's, we've got some dates in Europe coming up. I mean, we're in Germany next weekend, and then we've got France and Spain and things. Uh, but you, it's going to get busy. We're, we're quite busy at the moment, and, and you know, last year was busy. This year's pretty busy. So we just keep cracking on, <laughs> pushing forward. A few years back when the... When Metallica first did those big four shows, they uh -huh. broadcast the performances from Sofia, Bulgaria, in yes. movie theaters all around the world. And yes. a friend of mine and I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm uh, 44 and uh, my friend's a year or two older than me. We bought tickets to the screening in Burbank and we thought, you know, uh, it'll be a few of us 40 year old guys, you know, um, in the movie. Th I mean, you know, it, it's such a strange proposition, right? Like we're going to go watch a concert in the movie theater that, that happened earlier <laughs> I've today done it. or whatever. Yeah. I've done um, it. But I'll tell you, uh, Brian, we, we got there. Um, you know, we bought our tickets in advance. Luckily it was sold out. The theater, <laughs> the theater was packed. Every person in the audience was singing along to all four bands. There was yeah. a mosh pit that opened up in front of the screen at one point. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing that I was struck by the most uh, and I, is that my friend and I were the oldest guys in the room. Um, there were, you know, there were teenagers and there were uh, young adults right. in there and they were, you know, dressed with bullet belts and denim jackets and, uh, you know, white high top sneakers and all of that. And uh, so I'm, I'm curious, yeah. you know, in 2018, when Diamond Head goes to play a gig, I'm sure, of course, there's a lot of veteran fans who have been following the band for a long time. Do you also see a, a healthy amount of um, those younger fans? And, and if so, what do, what do you think uh, accounts for that continued um, um, generational? I think, yes, we do. Yeah. We do see some younger fans at gigs. And I think a lot of them just uh, maybe, you know, get tired of, of maybe all the 
the detuned bands, the screamo bands and all that, and, and maybe mm-hmm. some of them can just look back and, and see where all this style came from, the heavy metal genre, and, and, and go on Spotify or YouTube, and, and find for themselves bands that, that they like. They might not just, you know, take on board what's being fed them on, you know, modern-day media. They might think, well, there's more to this heavy metal than just the current the current fashionable bands. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, they find them for themselves. I, I occasionally bump into to guys, and yes, they've got the denims on, and, and they're covered with, you know, your old bands, your, your, like you mentioned, Rainbow, and, and, and bands from the 70s yeah. uh, and, and 80s. So if that's what they like, great, you know, then more power to them. We, we can't all, we're not all the same, are we? We've all got different tastes. So I think I think they find it for themselves, you know, maybe you know, friends and uh, family or however they find it. But um, I'm grateful that they do. Yeah, I think it speaks um, volumes about the the quality and the timelessness of the songs that you've been able to write over the years, and also the endurance. Um, you know, the fact that we're talking about an eighth Diamond Head yeah. record in 2018 yeah. is. Magnificent. It is, it and, is amazing yeah. that because uh, I, you know, we've just toured with Saxon and they're, they're still playing their mm-hmm. big hits from the, you know, late seventies, early eighties, and we're doing exactly the same. Most of our set is made up of of songs from the first album and second album, and we just throw in a new one here and there. But uh, that's what people want to hear, and they still sound great. They still sound fresh, you know. Of course, so, there yeah. is something in in those songs that uh, people want to hear, and people still identify with yeah and and the fact that um people that you know as you said there's a lot of reverse engineering that goes on i think we've i think we all did it as we were in our formative years as we were getting into music you would discover a band and Mm. then you would go well who uh you know um you know i would discover metallica and then someone would tell me kill them all is diamond head plus motorhead plus california you know and then you go well what's what's diamond head and what's right you know and, and as you kind of take things apart and put them back together again the idea that uh, Diamond Head is one of those bands that's um, out there and still vital and active and putting on great shows. That's so awesome for kids to be able to discover and then be able to see, oh, they're, they're actually yeah. playing next week. I can go see this. Actually, it's yeah. not just, it yeah. doesn't just exist in my Locked computer on, on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's cool. a lot of bands stopped. Uh, for, I mean, the majority of the new wave of British heavy metal bands stopped. There were only a handful that survived that seemed to keep going. Uh, I think there's more coming back now when people can see that there's still a demand for it and, mm-hmm. and you know, festivals will book bands. I see bands reforming. Uh, but, um, yeah, the, you know, most of them gave up, didn't they? Or, or you know, got dropped or just went back to their day job in in the in the mid 80s really Mm -hmm. and then you're able to kind of raise your hand and go uh i've still been here you guys where'd you go (laughs) welcome welcome back 1976 (laughs) so it's hell of a long time it's 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 over 40 years (laughs) wow yeah it's amazing and and and, uh carl the drummer's been been with you since uh what the early 90s right so yeah, ninety-one. Yeah, so that's quite that's quite a long time. Um, that's a lot of that's a lot of 
drumming, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> He's hit Indeed. that snare drum a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, I mean, even your singer joining in 2014, it's time flies, you know? That's that four years yeah, ago. So, some bands have only true, been around four years. Four years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's some bands who haven't been around that long yet. Yeah. Uh, so, well, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the new boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that... Uh, you know, uh, Jason Newstead was in Metallica for you know over a decade, and he he was still he was still being called New Kid right to the very end. Yeah, New Kid, Jason New Kid. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Um, well, Brian, thank you so much for making the time to to come and do this today. And uh, yeah, great. Well, no, it's great. I mean, I, you know, I've seen it mentioned a couple of times over the years. Speak and destroy, and I thought, yeah, that that's cool. I'll probably end up on there one day myself and here <laughs> exactly. we are exactly. today's the day <laughs> exactly and uh yeah and i've, I've gotten to uh, i've gotten to be uh, quite great friends actually with david ellison over the last 10 years or so and i'm, I'm right fr i wouldn't say that i know him nearly as well but i'm friendly with dave mustaine and uh you know megadeth was actually the band that uh, got me into metal peace cells was the first metal record that i ever owned um right i went head first from you know, I was listening to Billy Idol and Adam and the Ants and the Smiths and things like that. And <laughs> someone had right. IP cells, and it was it was like my hair sprouted out of you know overnight. Yeah, um, that's quite a jump. So, oh, <laughs> indeed. I mean, it was like a it was like you could see lightning striking my little suburban bedroom. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, it, it's it's been great. You know, as an adult to uh, to get to know those guys a little bit and become very friendly yeah. with, with Ellison. Had him on the podcast recently. And, um, cool. You know, of course, he's cool. a big nice guy. fan, and yeah. 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 So, well, great. Well, Brian, thanks so much. Um, enjoy the rest of your evening, and nice to speak. Likewise, have a good rest of your night. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks, Brian. Cheers. You can keep up with all things Diamond Head over at DiamondHeadOfficial.com. Also, be sure to check out the Speak and Destroy YouTube channel, where we've organized some great playlists, including rare old school TV appearances by the band. And be sure to follow Speak and Destroy on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Please, if you haven't already, head over to iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts and leave Speak and Destroy a five-star rating and a nice little review. Because those really, really help encourage more people to discover the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Check out our sister show, No Prize from God, which features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Guests include Jesse Leach from Killswitch Engage, Dwight Hellion of Integrity, Max Cavalera of Sepultura and Soulfly, and Ryan Clark from Demon Hunter. And make sure to check out past episodes of Speak and Destroy, featuring great guests from bands like Avenged Sevenfold, Lamb of God, Megadeth, Pantera, Hailstorm, Judas Priest, Testament, Anti-Nowhere League, and more. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downing.